filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Okay, so this weekend, the soccer game wasn't great. The Spirit won, yay, but for anyone at RFK, it, it wasn't great. So who wants a an Adam's daughter is super cute story? Me, me, me. Yeah, that'll, that'll help. Okay, so uh, as you guys know, she always takes her little stuffed Talon to Talon's house anytime we go, and she, True, loves, she loves showing it to Big Talon. And Big Talon makes a big to-do about how happy he is to see Little Talon. And Little Talon gets a big hug, and my daughter gets a big hug. Um, and, and everyone leaves very, very happy. Uh, so Talon, dressed as a Jedi, it was actually a pretty fantastic mascot costume, I'm not going to lie. Say what you want about Star Wars Day, Talon's costume was on point. I have no problems with Star Wars Day. I don't either, way. but I know people do, yeah, and that's fine. fine. And you're all wrong. I preferred uh, it when and, it was a superstitious positive rather than now the mixed bag we have. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, so he, at halftime, he was extra busy because it was Star Wars Day. And yeah. at, uh, at halftime, he's over you know, mingling with fans near the rail in front of where we sit. So we walk down from the 200 sections down to, to the front of the field during halftime. And Talon's there. And at this point, he's interacted with, with my daughter enough to recognize her. She's literally bossed him around. <laughs> and he's always game for it. And so he he sees little talent and he's reaching out because he knows that she wants to give it to him. And so I, I help out and try to hand it to him. But there's a gap between us and there's two sets of railings between us and a little well for cables. And I think you guys can see where this is going. Little Talon falls into the well. The handoff did not go well. Little Talon goes fa- falls all the way down, uh, almost into a puddle at the bottom of the well. Luckily, not all the way into the puddle. Uh, Big Talon puts his arms out, wings, whatever, basically mm-hmm. says, you guys, I got this. Grabs onto the railing and <laughs> swings underneath it, giant head and all, and down a couple of feet into, more than a couple of feet probably, down into this well, picks up Little Talon, holds him up triumphantly. <laughs> My daughter's eyes light up. She's just beaming because Big Talon saved Little Talon. And he, mm-hmm. Big Talon gives... Little Talon back to my daughter. She's so excited. He blows her. He climbs back out somewhat less gracefully than he got in in the first place, but I can't really blame him for that. Uh, Blows her a kiss and goes about mingling with everyone else. And my daughter has told this story or asked me to tell it to her no fewer than a dozen times since the end of this game. Or in the two days since this game ended, we've committed this story to a very particular telling and i tried to change it up a little bit in in this one but uh it it just shows that talon is a friend to all talon and and particularly a friend of my daughter and i'm grateful for that and i will continue calling rfk stadium talon's house and audi field on buzzard point talon's new house as i try to prepare my daughter for the inevitable change that is coming i mean so she'll at least get to learn about like logistics and moving trucks and uh, things like that as Talon moves to Talon's new house. Yeah, I mean she's experiencing a renovation right now, so she's yeah it she's be dealing all fair, kinds fairly of similar grown up domestic uh, house issues right now. Has she has she learned how much to tip movers when you have movers? Because you that, no. that's something I had I had to learn when I moved. It's like oh you do need to tip your movers. Yeah, I've. It's funny. My growing up, my dad was um, an executive for Atlas Van Lines at their world headquarters in Evansville, Indiana, and uh, so he would give me money to tip the movers, and they would always try to refuse it because they were doing it as a personal favor to him, and <laughs> they didn't want to be paid. And my dad's like, "No, you have to pay them. You cannot pocket this money." <laughs> and so I made sure I always paid them, but I had no idea what the actual market value of that was. I was just 
you know, riding on my dad's coattails a little bit. And then after I was, was on my own, uh, and my dad was no longer working for Atlas, I, uh, I ended up just always giving my friends pizza and beer to move me. I've never used professional movers. When we bought this house, we were already living in it. So I didn't have to, uh, professional movers movers. are great fam. Professional movers are great. I used a professional moving company that is, they are movers during the day and then they are artists at night. They hire VCU uh, art students oh, who wow. have graduated so, and they have their own art gallery, this that's, moving company. That's and, remarkable uh, and neat. Very Richmond. But yeah, they have, they have their own art gallery. They move during the day. They do art during the night and uh, they have very reasonable rates. Do you want to give them a plug by name? So yes, that, they're, they, they are Moxie Movers. So if you are in Richmond, go hire Moxie Movers. And if you're in D.C., ask Talon. He'll probably do you a solid. Yeah. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about D.C. United and other things in the world of soccer. Tonight, we are talking about D.C. United's disappointing one nothing loss at RFK Stadium to the Montreal Impact. We're also going to have our friend Eugene Rapinski on to preview DC United's upcoming visit from the Philadelphia Union. That'll happen Saturday night, 7 p.m., News Channel 8, RFK Stadium. Uh, the CW Richmond uh, is now on that list of yep. things you can watch the game using. Uh, that is not the most graceful way to put that. So nope. I'm just going to say before we do anything, Ben, what are you drinking? So, I'm drinking a Boda Box. I'm just, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm drinking Pinot Grigio from a Boda Box. It's good. I, if you have opinions about it that aren't, that it's perfectly acceptable, you're wrong. And I will fight you. So, I was going to say, I mean, this game was bad, but I didn't think it was approaching straight shots of vodka or Pinot Grigio from a box bad. Those are two completely different things. Yeah, one of them is sugar water from a box. And one of them is tasteless potato alcohol. Vodka can be made from anything, not just potatoes. And all of those are bad, too. Yeah, I mean, vodka's it's it's essentially a neutral spirit. I agree on that front. Yeah, and Boda Box is surprisingly decent. Okay. My parents, so now you have, now you're forcing me to tell a story, uh, which I didn't want to do, but I'm going to now. Um, my no, parents are please. wine Stop. snobs. They have a literal wine cellar that has a prison door on it that has a special lock. So when I was a child, I couldn't get into that, uh, into the wine cellar because it had like a gated prison door on it that I, that I didn't have the key for. And they age wine down there and they have like wines from the 80s that they've bought and aged there for decades. And their wine principle is you should go to the store and buy 6 to 12 bottles of under $20 wine and find one or two that you like and then buy a couple of cases of that and just enjoy it. And don't worry about the price and just find something that you enjoy. And they really enjoy... uh, fisheye wine that comes in a giant wine bottle that's available anywhere and they are wine snobs but they enjoy cheap wines as well so that sounds I like reject, i reject your snob i reject your snobbery they are kind of well, they're connoisseurs they're not snobs they're connoisseurs that know what good wine is and they know that uh cheap wine can still be good wine yes i i agree and wine from a box i have a more a bigger problem with pinot grigio i think than i have with um with the box wine or the cheap wine. Pinot Grigio, I have had so many bad ones and not very many good ones. So you've had a lot of... So you enjoy Pinot Grigio? No, I don't. That's the thing. Then why have you had so many? Because I wanted to try it. I was willing to experiment and try things. And in college, people ordered sweet wines. And Pinot Grigio is a very sweet wine. And so there would be bottles this of it one, available. This one is not that sweet. Well, that's good. It's not, a, it's not a Riesling sweet level, even. Okay. Jason, what are you drinking? Well, first of all, I'd like to note that last summer, after uh, the end of a Labor Day beach trip that most people abandoned due to the really weak threat of, of a hurricane that never came close to the shore, 
Um, I ended up coming home with multiple boxes of um, Boda Box Pinot Grigio because the people <laughs> hate the other people at the house hastily got out of there and just left a bunch of things behind. And when we called to say, "Do you guys want us to save this?" they were like, "Just take it." So uh, I bundled up a bunch of bottles of wine and also a bottle of Chambord, which I have, or not bottles of wine, boxes of wine and a bottle of Chambord, which is kind of useless, uh, but I I have it um, anyway. Um, I missed Wait, it. What did you think about still the still just up? No, no, I drank them all pretty quickly. I think I had uh, some of them okay. on this show um, at one point. But yeah, I just I, huh. I got rid of it quickly because the boxes were kind of like expanding out from my liquor area. It was taking too much space, and uh, I'm big on that space staying uh, defined. And it was it was going over the line, so the wine had to go. Um, but it was fine into your belly, fine. right? Uh, tonight, I'm not drinking anything having anything to do with any of what I just said. Um, I've had the beer uh, Sweet Baby Jesus by Duclaw Brewery a bunch of times on this show. This year, Very they, good beer. they released a, a new version called Sweet Baby Java, which is the same beer, but Ooh. infused with espresso beans, um, which sounds like it could be overkill. Uh, it's already a chocolate peanut butter stout. As, as a starting point, they've infused it with coffee. It seems like it's probably too much. Actually, I think this is better than the original. I think they've improved upon it by adding the coffee notes. It's it's yeah, really I can see great. the bitterness really helping it out. And, and since we've inexplicably got um, the the weather is kind of appropriate for a darker beer. Uh, yeah, that's despite true. this being we're now entering mid May, it really shouldn't be, but it is. So I'm drinking that, and it's uh, pretty excellent. If you find it, you should buy it. Yeah, we're somewhere in the middle of the. Um... Changing seasons from Monty Python's Holy Grail right now. We're Definitely, we're in a confused moment for sure. Yes. We're in, uh, somehow we're in early November. Yes. Complete with the threat of a nor'easter this weekend. Right. Like literally they are calling it a potential nor'easter, which it's May. I don't understand this. Uh, we put it out there on, uh, on Twitter this weekend that, any listeners we have who are superstitious will enjoy my drink. I am drinking a shrub, which was good for um, our, our previous run of form. But that shrub has rum in it. <laughs> Guys, I'm, I am drinking rum on the show. Appropriate. I am drinking cotton and reed rum from Union Market, their distillery in Union Market in D.C. So I'm drinking D.C. rum. And it's not... It's it's not bad. I, I actually got two bottles of it from well, them. Then they're probably not going to win this weekend if it's not a bad rum. I mean, hey, I went out of my way and got rum and made a drink out of it. Okay. And okay. not only that, made a shrub. So I have two sources of good luck. I here. hope. I hope. I hope it succeeds. Because Thanks. then Adam will just have to keep drinking rum. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's not super enthusiastic about my continuing to drink rum because I'm not miserable at the moment yep if i were miserable he'd be much more excited i think yep well eventually you'll run out of the good the good rum and you'll end up desperate and have bad rum someday well so so cotton and reed they have they had three things on offer uh and i got two of them the one i didn't get is their all spice dram is what they call it and it's it's essentially all spice in liqueur form it is super strong all spice like it tastes like a christmas spice cake uh, that your grandma used too much allspice in. Um, and I can see that. I can see the virtue of using that for mixing things, you know, around the holidays when the weather is cold. Um, their spice drum, which I got, is a dry... It's drier than most rum, which is why I got it. It, it does not taste like Captain Morgan or uh, other spice drums. And it's got a lot of allspice in it, not like the allspice dram. But it's got a lot of allspice in it, but not a ton of residual sugar. And so it tastes better than most rum. Their white rum also not a ton of residual sugar. And that's what I'm drinking right now in a, a strawberry dill shrub that, that is tasty. Ben, if you want me to be miserable, I can talk about the game this weekend. We might as well. Yeah. DC United missed an opportunity that was just there for the taking Saturday night at RFK losing one to nothing to the Montreal impact. Balou Jean Yves Tabla. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. I apologize to French speakers everywhere. 
but he's only 18 and I'm mad at him because he beat us. He scored the one goal dancing past Jared Jeffrey and getting way too much respect from Kofi Opare before uh, firing home past Travis Wara, who was deputizing for the injured Bill Hamid. Those are three names that are not supposed to be starters, but that's neither here nor there. Let Actually, it is here nor there. Here and there? Yeah. Our positions are difficult. Let's talk about that goal. Um, that was the the one moment of anything in this game. And it, it started, it was, a, it was a good solo effort by Tabla, who got the ball. Jared Jeffrey inexplicably decided to defend his back instead of trying to take the ball from in front of him. He ran around behind him, and all of a sudden, Tabla was one-on-one with uh, Kofi Opare, who stood off him and let him decide exactly what he was going to do before trying to close him down. Uh, Wara unable to get to the shot. Um, they went back across the grain. It's just a bad goal, Ben. Yeah, it was a really bad goal overall. Uh, the only person involved in that goal who doesn't have anything to really be blamed for was Lucio Acosta because he tried to come over and help a little bit uh, after Jared Jeffrey got inexplic- inexplicably beaten. And yeah, and he, he got beat a little bit, and that's fine because it wasn't his man to begin with. But yeah, like you said, uh, Jared Jeffrey basically overran uh, his man and tried to make up for it by defending the guy's back and trying to uh, poke the ball away, but he had already overran his man and wasn't able to recover. And then Kofi Apare just kept backing up and backing up and backing up and didn't step and try and win the ball. And uh, kind of like uh, Lucho Acosta's goal last week, uh, he found himself in a pocket of space and... Uh, ripped a ball that a better goalkeeper probably would have saved. Uh, Let's not say ripped. Because yeah, not ripped. Not well, well, okay. Okay. Not, <laughs> not ripped. But Neither, just like I mean, Lucho Acosta last week didn't yeah. rip, rip his goal. Uh, he pl- placed, it, placed it well. And like I said, if, if Bill Hamid had been there, Bill Hamid probably saves that ball. Uh, but uh, Travis Wara got wrong-footed and couldn't get back yeah. in time. Uh, and I, I don't blame him much. I mean, if he was an excellent goalkeeper, he probably would have saved that. But it's much more on Jared Jeffrey for not breaking up and breaking it up in the midfield, and on Kofi Opare not stepping to try and break that up uh, before he was able to take that shot. Yeah, I think Opare was a little preoccupied with potential runners, or or at least trying to keep an eye out for them. He just. Sure, I'd, I'd well, been in that position. In I, first think, I don't want to give. Do I don't well. want to give him excuses. He didn't do well once he was there, but he didn't. He shouldn't have been in that. Been put in that situation at that point, anyway. I. He I doesn't have, look I've, good, but I still think most. No, of, I, I have no excuses. If I'm, if I'm apportioning blame, most of it's going to Jared Jeffrey on this one. I mean, a lot but, of it's going to Jared Jeffrey, sure, but I don't give. I don't give Kofi Apari that much uh, absolution. Jason, I, do you have opinions? Yeah, um, as much as Jeffrey obviously opens the door for all of this, um, I know there were some people critical of Acosta, um, but Acosta, nah. the only thing he really could have done is left his foot in and committed a foul in a very bad spot yeah. against Ignacio Piatti and, uh, on the impact. So you don't commit a foul there because you have faith in Kofi Opare stepping forward and doing something about it, or you have faith that... Tabla isn't going to beat Wara from that range, um, while not really at, he didn't really have his feet set. So Acosta did the right thing by not committing a foul, um, which is, yes, again, definitely. in, in the situation he was in is all he could do is commit a foul. There was no way for him to not yep. commit a foul. If he makes any contact, he's committing a foul. Um, I think Opare, if he was looking out for runners, shouldn't have been because the danger at that point is not runners. It's right. the guy on the ball uh, yeah. at this point having made that progress and having no real other options. Uh, Tabla hit a shot because there, wa- there weren't choices. Um, at- now, Opare probably needs to be informed by the guys around him that he should be stepping. Um, and I think with... Hamid's experience and his uh, booming voice and his leadership, he's going to tell Opari to step. I th- I'm sure Boswell said something, but I'm not sure he said it fast enough because 
either way, someone that back there needs to be telling Opari to step. There has to be a command coming from somewhere to step, because if he's not doing it on his own, you got to help him out and tell him that he needs to go, to let him know there's nothing else to do, step to the ball. Um, and with Wara, I think the issue is that he didn't... An issue that Wara's run into a bunch of times is that his footwork isn't great. Um, sometimes it seems like he's not quite getting his feet set in time. It takes him a little too much time, and in this case... The reason he didn't get over to this ball isn't that he can't, it's that he didn't set his feet correctly and give a real jump over to his right. And so instead of a full jump, he sort of got one, it's like a one foot jump instead of a two foot jump. And, uh, in the slippery conditions, that means you're not really extending out to the corner. And that's why he couldn't pick the ball out. So it's a series of smaller errors. Maybe the communication error is a bigger one. Um, the one involving Opare and, uh, the guys around him is pretty bad. Jeffrey, obviously, under normal circumstances, too, it's a little bit weird for Jeffrey to be hesitant, because normally, if anything, he's a little over-exuberant in defending people one-on-one, and he tends to give away too many fouls. In this case, if he had committed a foul when he had the chance, it would have been okay. Um, Yeah, but I think safer range from goal, but he he tried not to. He tried to be a little more thoughtful, but he ended up walking himself around to the wrong side of Tabla. I still don't understand how he got behind... Tabla, like yeah, it, it was, was, it was I don't know if it was like play. a Jedi mind trick. This play. isn't the ball you're looking for. I mean, it was Star Wars night. It's entirely possible Tabla pulled a Jedi mind trick on him. But I think he's still over. I, I think he was still over exuberant in that he overran his man, and in trying to get back, he didn't. That then he overcompensated and didn't want to commit the foul there. But he was too exuberant in running past his man, and then trying to recorrect for that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, well, whatever it was. it was, he definitely got lost in space and found himself running away from the Dude, ball. Wrong sci-fi and, series. Yeah. Wrong sci-fi. Dude, it was Star Wars night. Keep it, keep it on track. Keep it on theme. Uh, he didn't use his uh, Vulcan powers to stop uh, Tabla from running further. There was a uh, Horcrux in there, and everything went wrong. Uh, <laughs> Whatever the reason, uh, this was the moment that decided the game, but none of the rest of the game was really very good either, especially the first half. Ben Olsen called the team posers. He said their effort was, and I quote, bullshit. Um, He he had a lot of not nice things to say, and I, I assume at least some of his laying it on was for motivational tactics, but uh, none of it is wrong either. Jason, this was, this was a bad performance uh and a real missed opportunity yeah i i have no problem with with olsen calling them out in this particular game because i think this was one of those games where the performance deserved it and it wasn't a we got our tactics wrong issue it was the team on the field wasn't ready for what was i have a bunch of details about montreal uh and why this should have been a winnable game and there it, it it's gonna pile up you're not gonna be happy at the end of what i'm about to say um, Montreal came into this game winless on the road this season. Uh, they were playing their second choice right back. They were playing a fourth choice center back in Kyle Fisher. Uh, they flipped Simon to right center back, uh, and Fisher to left center back. It's the first time Simon has played right center back since he arrived in MLS. Um, there was a brief period there right at the beginning where he did that, and that's it. Um, they arrested Marco Donadel, uh, for, um, uh, Adrian Aregui, who, um, at one point in the game, decided to defend Lucho Acosta by, like, leaping at him like a martial arts uh, foe. Like, it's just the random guy that the hero in the martial arts movie beats up. Uh, but he jumped out aggressively, and Lucho just sort of embarrassed him and moved on. So, Oregi, not very good, uh, stepping in for Donadell, who would not have been... Like, I actually laughed at Oregi when he, that happened, um, for context. Um, they rested Patrice Bernier, who had been arguably their best player all season, um, for Tabla playing in the middle, who Tabla's a winger. He does not have any central midfield experience in MLS. Um, so he's playing out of position, uh, filling in for Bernier. Because uh, Bernier is 750 years old. Right, he's some sort of warlock, um, but sometimes warlocks have yeah. to rest. Um, Dan Lovitz was playing as a right winger. Lovitz is a left back, mostly. He's played a little bit of left wing in his time, but he's very much a defensive wide midfielder if you're going to play him at all. And he was playing on the opposite flank from where he's used to playing. Um, I believe this was his, I didn't look this up. It might've been his first appearance of the season. If not first, then definitely first start. Um, 
Dominic Oduro starting up front is arguably their third choice, uh, number nine right now. Mateo Mancosu was injured. Anthony Jackson Hamel was up in the air that he would even play at all. He did come in, but he was definitely not able to start. Um, and Oduro probably, if Jackson Hamel had been fit to start, Oduro probably would have been on the wing and Lovitz would have been on the bench. So Oduro, the third choice striker. Um, we're talking about a Montreal team that was bad coming in, that was playing six non-regular starters on the road uh, in a venue that, other than in regular season play, they had never won in before. Um, so all of those things stacked up uh, at once, and United managed to lose without even really making them play an exceptional game either. Montreal was in second gear and won this game comfortably. Yep. It was it that was... bad. I'm unhappy. I had I had a tweet. Thank uh, you, thank from, you, Jason. I had a tweet from Mark Rickling after the game, and and I'm not sure I agree with his. His point was that he felt that this was the worst performance of the season, even worse than the loss at NYCFC. I'm not sure I quite agree because that game featured more catastrophic errors, whereas this was just a, a flat line of bad rather than the like deep valley. But I mean, at least catastrophic errors you can expect not to happen every week, whereas this kind of performance you can project out to happening uh, all of the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that the NYCFC game was worse, um, but this was maybe more disappointing because you, you go to Yankee Stadium against NYCFC, you might lose. Um, it happens. They might score four goals. I mean, the expected goals in that game were like two to nothing, basically. So, or not even two, it was like two to one. Um, but NYCFC has some exceptional players. You might just give up four goals against them on a bad day. So be it. You know, they played badly. They got what they deserved. But sometimes that happens. Uh, this game against Montreal, Montreal didn't even play well. And United managed to lose comfortably, um, like I said I think before. that's why this is... That, that's why Mark might be right. Yeah, that well, this was yeah, the worst I mean, game I, because... I, I, I think the catastrophic errors are a bigger problem. Uh, but yeah. this one's more disappointing. It sticks in the craw a little more. Um, yeah, because, this one hurts more. Yeah, that like, one you can say, burn the tape, never never speak of this again. Right. They, they were on fire, and we made a couple of mistakes. We'll fix those, and and this won't happen again. This this game was just, we didn't show up. We didn't bother yeah. showing up. We weren't I mean, awake. We, we, it, it wasn't a, they were good either. Like, if you don't show up and the other team's good, like, the first 15 minutes against Atlanta, then, you know, you can, you can be behind three, nothing and be like, well, they were just really good. And we weren't, uh, we weren't there this game. We lost one, nothing. The other team never being very good either. And it's that it's, it's that feeling of disappointment, especially knowing that the win was there to be had. If this team had just decided to even try to take it. Well, and especially in the first six, seven minutes, the team was playing decently. They had uh, two or three chances from uh, Sean Franklin and Lloyd Sam that could have been goals. And uh, they were playing not great, but they're playing okay. And then after the goal happened, they just crumpled and had no ability to play any soccer that you could recognize. Yeah, they were a little better. On. They were a little better in the second half, but not but... better enough to. I mean, to to be anything, especially since we know Montreal is a team that will play in that low block, just like DC United did against Atlanta. They will sit back and just try to counter you to death, and they didn't even have to do that. They just kind of sat in the low block and just hung yeah. out for a while. I mean, I will say, like, I feel I feel like the effort for DC United was there. Like they worked hard. This is I, I you'll you'll notice sure. with with our podcast and with the stuff that we write, we almost never are saying like, oh, they just didn't try, they didn't want it, because that's generally not a real reason why professionals have a bad game. Um, I think that they just mentally weren't in the right place to do anything close to a good job. Um, so the effort was there, but the mentality wasn't there, and it's you know, it's sort of like when you wake up and you just don't you're not in a good mood, you don't feel quite right, and you, you go in and you go to work and you try to do your job, but you suck at it for the day and everyone can kind of tell because you're off for whatever reason, you didn't sleep well, whatever it is. Um, this was a lot like that. Um, and, you know, the second half was better, I think, 
adding Mullins definitely helps because this is the issue you run into with Latou playing as a striker is that when you're playing counterattacking soccer, it works great because he can run in behind. But when he has to play back to goal, you're not going to get anything going on because he's bad at playing with his back to goal. Um, even when he's even in possession, when he's trying to get in behind, it, it doesn't always work well. This is the he, third time. This yeah. is the third time in his limited minutes this season that we've seen a through ball or a chip over the top that he's trying to run in a way such that he can run onto it. This is the third time he's instead run in front of it and it's bounced off of him. Mm-hmm. The other two were ground, you know, through balls on the ground that he would run and they just hit him in the back of the leg or in the back of the foot. This, there was a chip o- over the top in this game that he mistimed his run or misangled his run and it bounced off literally off of his shoulder because he was running trying to get to the spot and got there too quickly or took the wrong angle to it. And you have to be able to make that run. You have to know where the ball is going. And that's just... He he scored goals the other two times that this happened. He obviously right. didn't score a goal this time, and I think that um, I think that we should expect Patrick Mullins to be yeah. in the eleven against Philly, partly as a result of this play that just stands well, out in my mind, where he's running in behind and the ball just bounces see, off his back. I, I don't think it's one play. I think it's the entire the totality of his game. No, that play um, sums it up a little bit for me, though. Um, there were there were several times where he took up a position to play back to goal, and his touch was just. Now, it wasn't oh, even yeah. just a, um, like a bad touch uh, in terms of technique. It was also like an odd choice. Like what he was trying to do wasn't a good idea. And also his touch was poor. Um, and that's it's just, you know, I don't want to beat up on him too bad because this isn't really his game. In this system, he's a winger. He's not a striker. Um, when when United's on the road sitting deep against Atlanta and playing pure counterattacking soccer, he's a pretty good option up front because at that point it's not playing back to goal to try and combine and get numbers for it. It's let's raid as quickly as possible. Um, so he's an option when United is protecting a lead on the road and they're like, let's leave a counterattacking option up there so that we can get that second goal and, and pad this thing at home though. It's not really a good look until the other team really starts to stretch out and throw numbers at you. He's not the guy. Um, I think it might've been a better idea in this one to swap him and Nagel. If Mullins wasn't able to go from the start, um, and Olsen did in the first half, he tried some stuff to, to jar something loose. He switched Nagel and Sam for a few minutes. That didn't work. He switched them back and then switched Latou and Nagel. Um, but by that point, it was late in the first half and the team was so flat that they, they really needed halftime to come at like the 20th minute. Yeah. They, they needed was, to play a 70 a minute second half and they just needed that break to like recollect themselves. Yeah. Um, there was a moment. I am going to pile on Latou a little bit because there was a moment where Lucho Acosta did crazy Lucho Acosta things and, and put the ball wide to Sam, mm-hmm. who a lot of people are faulting for not shooting on this. Instead, he crossed it to the back post. I, I'm not blaming Sam for this. I'm blaming Seba Latou because Sam put a cross in expecting the center forward to make a run. And all he had to do was actually put his head down and run hard. And instead, right. uh, Latou checked. He checked back yes. instead of making the run. It, you're the center forward. Your job is to make that run 10 times out of 10, and he didn't do it, and the ball went out for a goal kick. If he makes that run, it, it's potentially a tap-in, or at least a good chance. And Nine he, yards out, though. Nine yards out. No, Shoot I, the ball. That's fine. I mean, the keeper was in good position and had was completely sighted. I understand not shooting the ball there, especially since that's not Lloyd Sam's decision-making process. And, I don't fault him for making the cross. Right. I, and let's note I, that Latou has to make that run, even if Sam shoots it. And, he has to make that run, and he didn't. And, when, and yes, w- yeah. when the ball rolls out wide to Sam, his last look to size up where people are, he sees two runners. He sees two guys that can get near post, far post. Um, and so as a as a career winger, his instinct is going to be, I'm going to set these guys up for a tap-in. Like, if, if it misses the near post run, it's going to the far, far post run will be on. Um, I understand the calls for him to shoot from that that angle, but he's thinking my shot may or you know it might be saved. It, it's kind of a low percentage opportunity shooting from an angle, whereas yeah. if someone gets a touch onto this cross, it's an extremely high percentage chance. Um, right. If Sam had been center of goal or even within the goal mouth, nine yards out, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say shoot it. He was outside of the goal mouth. Yeah, I, and, I mean, I so, but I mean, I'm okay with could the cross. score from there. I, I don't want to say that Ben's wrong. Yeah. He could have scored. No, from absolutely. There. Um. But he was going for an oh, yeah. even greater opportunity, and it should have been – the run should have been there. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, I, like other podcasts say, things can be two things. Yes. Sam should have shot and 
Sebel should have made that run. Both of those yeah. things are are true. Uh, and especially since if uh, Sam had made that shot, there's a, also a decent chance that it's not collected cleanly and right. then uh, Sebel run allows him a tap in off of the rebound. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of things it. could have happened. <laughs> right. It was a, it was a really good sequence. Things could, things can be two things. Right. Um, either way. Yeah. Like that was, but it was also like one of the only things they did that wasn't a cost of doing it entirely by himself. Um, yes. which it was fun watching him put so many guys on the ground and make people fall over and, and almost score a goal. That was a total solo goal. Um, but yeah, United he, can't. He's about the only person. He's about the only person you can you can say didn't have a bad game. I thought Taylor Kemp was fine. Like not, he didn't have a standout uh, game by any means, but he was fine. The, Montreal created nothing on his side. Um, you can go look up on. He also created nothing on their side. Uh, he no, he had a, a couple good runs in the first half that actually were um pretty dangerous. That Montreal managed to fend off with a. A good block, or he won a corner on one run. Like he, I'm not saying that he was good. I'm saying that he was fine um, on a game where everyone okay. else was bad. Um, and that even can I, can I go ahead? Oh, I, I just want to talk about. I mean, we've talked around him, but I, I, if you all allow me, I want to talk about my main problem of this game. Go for it. Jared Jeffrey was real bad, and I think he was so bad that it destroyed what DC United was trying to do because he he was so bad in the first 20 or so odd minutes that they just started bypassing him and they just started to completely bypass the entire midfield and I think that's a large part of why they weren't able to create anything is that they were trying to just bypass the entire midfield because Jared Jeffrey was so bad and then they weren't able to create anything whatsoever. I mean, I think that's that's fair, and I think that's his his work in possession has been, uh, or or really his lack there, his lack of success in possession has been one of the stories uh, of his time in the starting eleven for United over the last not just this year but last year too. He when he's a little bit more forward, he can potentially be he his possession game isn't as dangerous his turnovers right. aren't as dangerous and he can be he's almost not, like a forward destroyer but when he, he's he when he's less, in the pivot yeah when he's he is, in the pivot it's really difficult for this team to function right because yeah. he's right. not safe or steady or even ambitious right. on the ball because he's he, just he has so much more responsibility in that position um yeah you know it's number eight role when he plays it is mostly about ball winning, being available, and just being the assistant to the other two guys. You're there to help. Yeah. Um, whereas when he plays as the six, he's got to be the main way that United plays out of the back. And as much, I mean, I know a lot of people have been critical of Marcelo Sarvas. We've all been critical of him. Um, yeah. But in these home games, when you need to build up an attack, you have to have somebody who's better in that spot uh, on the ball. And, mm-hmm. and teams are keying on it now. Teams know that yeah. if United tries to find Jared Jeffrey, you can rattle him uh, into turnovers, yeah. into bad passes by just being around. You don't even have to sell out high press him. You just have to be close enough that he feels that pressure enough that he gets a little mm-hmm. nervous. Yeah. His feet get a little, uh, a little, a little too hard, basically, and he just starts leaving the ball a couple of yards away from himself. And even yeah. if he's not turning the ball over directly, they- he goes from setting himself up for a good pass to having to rush a pass to somebody real quick, and it just keeps yeah. happening. And as much as Marcelo that's why is I've... crazy and takes these wild risks um, jumping out of that position, he's still a better option at this point. And, uh, you know, Jeffrey's performance in Atlanta was really good for what he – but, you know, in that game, no no one's looking for him to be um, a passing reference point. He was mostly there to right. destroy and take – And even in that game, Ian Harks had to yes. come back next to him to help him out, right. which um, put Lucho on more of an island, which is fine when you're playing pure counterattack, but if you are – doing anything else like you have to do against a team like the Montreal impact when you're at home, you, you have to be able to have someone more solid in that six role. And that's why I think Sarvas should be ahead of Jeffrey and why I wouldn't hate seeing Chris Durkin back from being on the all CONCACAF team during the CONCACAF under 17 championships where the U S made the final lost to Mexico, but made the world cup. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing that 
player in that role this weekend against Philly. I really wouldn't. It really, I mean, that's one of the spots that we might see a change. This is the kind of game where the lineup, a lot of players might find themselves not starting next week as a, as a result of their performance. Um, it would be a, a more, a more aggressive, uh, change if United didn't have like seven guys unable to train, uh, as of today, uh, thanks to Steven Streff. We knew it's, it's actually seven though. It'll probably come down when Hamid returns tomorrow. Um, but still, that's a lot of guys to be missing. Um, yeah, so. one of the guys who's back in training, I think it's worth mentioning, yeah. uh, Steve Birnbaum, back in training fully. Right. We'll see if he makes it through the full week, but he's cleared yeah. the concussion it, protocol to get back on the field of training. Now. We'll see right. how he responds. Yeah. yeah, we'll see how he responds to training, and if all goes well, uh, I would expect him to be in uniform at least against Philly. I, I wouldn't he's be surprised to see him he's on the bench, start. but he's probably going to start right. if he's... I mean, he's good, especially coming off of like Opare played a really good last hour against Atlanta and then immediately was heavily culpable in a goal, Uh, even though we may disagree how culpable is still pretty culpable. Um, Yeah, still contributing. And and it's also like Olsen's done this in the past where guys will get dropped, not necessarily because they were specifically bad, but just to send a message to the rest of the team. Like this is a player that's been chomping at the bit. So I'm going to drop you because the team overall this needed. is where the competition is right yeah. and the team needs someone new i mean um i'm trying to think of a good example corb kept kemp out of the lineup a few times just because the team needed something new and somebody um who had been battling for their spot you know you sometimes you just have to give a guy some minutes um nahar and uh hamid both were on the bench yeah. for a while um and this uh, a couple of years ago Right, and so this could be a situation where, I mean, Birnbaum, if he's healthy, has to start anyway. Even with him not having a great season so far, he's the most talented center back on the team by a wide margin. Um, But Opari and Boswell did not do themselves any favors um, against Montreal, and therefore, that's a door that's open. Um, Sean Franklin didn't train today. Maybe Chris Odoyachim gets a start. Um, I mean... If Franklin can't go, it kind of, I mean, he kind of has to start uh, because De Leon is looking at yeah. possible surgery. Um, so hey, Chris Corb is back. Chris Corb is back. He played 71 minutes for the kickers, got an assist um, on his first pro appearance in literally yeah. game winning assist. So, almost, almost well, no, not game uh, winning, game tying. But still, um, no, a game pretty tying good outing. Um, he was playing left back though. Yeah. But still, we know he can play on both sides. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but the, he's better on the left. The door, the door is open for two defensive changes. The door is open for dropping Jeffrey for Marcelo or for Durkin. Um, you could argue that Latou stays in the lineup because he's been scoring, but Nagel quietly was maybe the close of that group that I said was all bad. Maybe Nagel was close to being in the not actually bad group. Like he, he wasn't bad compared to the rest of the bad group. He was the closest to not being in that little pit of sadness. Um, so maybe you can argue that he's floating on top of the sea of sadness. Right. So maybe one of he's in it, but he's not really two, of it. One of those two will be on the left. Um, with Mullins, you have to assume Mullins is going to start because even, oh, yeah. even though United was not good in the second half, they were better, um, and created some chances that I, I will say he should have put his late header at least on frame. Um, which yeah. kind of goes back to and the, how he was playing when he early. collects the ball in the, the in the six yard box. He he doesn't pick his head up to look. He just shoots it at goal and puts it right on the keeper. Well, that was one actually. That um, one I thought was a decent decision because that was a situation yeah. where as soon as you let Evan Bush get sight of the ball and get set, you you've made it much easier for him to do his job. I think shooting quick was the right choice. He just actually, yeah, it just didn't quite come off. Um, yeah, because if he hit that hard and high, it goes in. If he hits it to either side, it goes in. But he hit it weakly and right at Bush's chest. Even if Bush had just kept his arms spread out, the ball would have hit him in the chest and fallen to his feet, and he could have just fallen on the ball. Um, but still, you know, the team brightened up quite a bit, and it wasn't just because I'm sure Olsen uh, had some unkind things to say to them at halftime, perhaps a, a loud volume, but that's not the only reason they played better. They also started pushing uh, the wide forwards up, or the wide midfielders up, and played a true 4-3-3 after halftime. Um, just an attempt to press Montreal into something, and it almost worked. Um, they almost got away with this bad performance. They almost salvaged it with Opare's goal that was correctly called offside. Um, the Mullins chances we mentioned. But um, even if they'd gotten a draw, I feel like we all would still be pretty sorely disappointed with what we saw. In the, the totality of it was still bad, even if they scraped a goal somehow. 
Yeah, and uh, a team that came off a draw that they're going to be, or I, I guess came off a win and came off a draw two weeks ago mm-hmm. that they, that I guess, built off of and are, we're probably feeling pretty good about is the Philadelphia Union, and we will talk about them with Eugene Rapinski right after this. Stick around. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But But if this were a hostile work environment or if I were trying to steal your wages or, or do something else. Oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the district of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich law office. It is the Ehrlich law office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the district of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason, except no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone, but Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. As disappointed as our regular listeners and anyone who likes DC United was last weekend, our guest had to be thrilled as his dupers ran the Red Bulls out of Philly by the tune of three to nothing, uh, a result I don't think very many people saw coming. Eugene Rapinski manages BrotherlyGame.com and has agreed to come back on the show for the second time this year to help us preview Philly's visit to RFK Stadium this weekend. It'll be seven o'clock on News Channel Eight, but you should really get out of the state, out to the stadium, and watch this one. Eugene, welcome back. Thanks for having me, guys. So, uh, what are you drinking? First off, water. All right, keeping it simple. Uh, how are you feeling after after this win? It's I think you officially the first win since the Truman administration. <laughs> <laughs> It, it certainly feels like that. Um, it, it's it's like a great weight has been lifted off our shoulders. Uh, you know, I don't think too many people um, expected it to happen. I don't think very many people are thinking that it's you know it's all uphill or all downhill from from here. Uh, th- there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, we kind of got a little lucky on a couple of ca- of occasions against the Red Bulls. Um, and, you know, it's one win. It's one win. We're still slightly above Colorado in the table. Um, you know, it's good, but there, there's still a lot of ground to make up. There's something to be said for avoiding the wooden spoon. I'll put that out there. Uh, this win does kind of build off of a decent result in Los Angeles. Uh, two to two draw that you were up two to nothing in. Um against the galaxy does it feel like oh you weren't up to nothing in that one no it was, a, it was zero zero. Oh, it was a zero zero draw uh, sorry i'm conflating different hilarious you're, galaxy you're turning results. you're bringing up the montreal yeah yeah the montreal comeback with uh, a galaxy failure <laughs> um, um it's been a confusing there's month. too many it has <laughs> yeah i think the weather is contributing to that as well uh, but but still, a decent result in Los Angeles, followed by uh, a better than decent result against the Red Bulls. Does does it feel like the Union are figuring things out and are building momentum, or or does this still feel precarious to you? Yes, uh, <laughs> y- y- yes to all. I mean, you know, it seems like they're figuring some things out. They 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 did play very well uh, against Los Angeles. You know, anytime you go out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Anytime you go out west and get a point, that is uh, that's a good day's work. Um, so the, even there against is Cardinalfo? E- even against Cardinalfo, um, you know, anytime you can go out, uh, you know, three thousand miles away and, and get a point against a team, 
that that's there's something to be said for that um you know so the, you know it's it's still precarious though they you know yes they've gotten four points four very good points uh over the past two games but you know like i said there's still a ton of ground to make up you know we are at the bottom of the the east uh still looking up at montreal i mean that's that's not a place you want to be even this early in the season uh, CJ Sapong was named the uh, MLS Player of the Week this week for his first career hat trick uh, against the Red Bulls. What is he doing right right now? And he's had hot spells before, but hasn't been able to extend it out for a full season. Is there any reason to think he can do that this time? I don't see any reason why he can't. He certainly has the the supporting cast around him. Um, you know, if if guys like Alejandro Bedoya can maintain uh, playing well if uh you know Roland Alberg can can maintain his health and 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 play well um you know CJ seems to be in a good mentality right now and I think that's always been uh, his waterloo you know it's it's always been him getting inside of his own head you know he misses a chance he goes a couple games without a goal and then it's you know it's it's on for for a month or two um you know, so I think his confidence is high, and if, if you know the, the team around him can still perform well, um, I don't I don't see any reason for him to to kind of have a a swoon. So speaking of our favorite former U.S. former and current U.S. international playing in a undefined midfield role in uh, Alejandro Bedoya, gracefully said. He, <laughs> Shut up! Do you think he's finally found a role uh, uh, in in the central of midfield, but back behind uh, Alberg, or do you think he's still a little bit uh, out to sea? Um, I think he's definitely doing a lot better uh, as a, as a central midfielder. I think dropping him um, was you know dropping him deeper in in the play was the right decision to make. It's it certainly has paid dividends, and he kind of even came out and said uh, that you know he's not he's not a, a, a number ten. He doesn't like uh, playing that role. He'd much rather get the ball deep and then work it up the field. Um, so you know when you have a guy that's making that much money, you, you want to play him in, in the position he's comfortable playing in. Um, you know, so th- I, I think it's certainly worked out. You know, there are some people who like to see him out, uh, tried out on the wing, out on the right where he plays uh, for the U.S. sometimes. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of under the impression, at least right now, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, you know, I, I'm happy he's playing better. He he was last time we played, he was not playing very well. Um, yeah. But it's it's kind of amazing what playing somebody in position will do. <laughs> right. And then my other question is about our, our old friend who we still have an affinity for, uh, Chris Pontius. He continues to start out on the left for you all. And uh, how's he been doing? Is he is he doing well? Is he in any danger of losing his spot? Uh, I hope he hasn't had any devastating injuries like he has in D.C. No. So Chris has been doing pretty well. He uh, He did suffer, I think, a broken hand or a broken bone in his hand uh very early in the season i think it was the game against toronto the, the second game was super cold at uh talent energy stadium i think he broke a bone in his hand then so that kind of limited him a, a bit but he has he's been playing well he hasn't had the goal scoring touch that he had last year but honestly you know coming from a from a winger you don't really uh, expect that too too much like it's it's great if it happens but you shouldn't really rely on your wingers to to kind of put that uh that amount of work in. Um, he's been switched off to the right side a, a couple of times just to give uh, the the union a, a little bit of a different look. Uh, putting him out on the right and uh, Fafa Pico out on the left, um, which has worked ish. Um, I <laughs> I mean personally, I, personally, I'm not a fan. I, I think you know. It, Again, you play guys in position. Pontius is is obviously a, a left winger. Pico's a burner. He's he's a quick guy. He can he can certainly spread the defense. But 
like most burners, his uh, his touch isn't all that great, and he uh, you know doesn't get things on goal as often as we'd like. So, you know, pick your poison. Uh, Eugene, the thing I've noticed in the last two games, um, now that Union have suddenly put together two straight shutouts, which is weird to even contemplate, um, especially given that they're not playing again in their last game. At least they weren't even playing either of their projected starting center backs coming into the year. They played Jack Elliott, who was a fourth-round pick, and Gucci Onyewu, who a lot of people were just not expecting to really play much at all um, this season. Um, I've noticed that the Union seem to be really focused on just staying compact. Um, do you think that's sustainable, or is that just a, a temporary fix for them, just to get something going for them right now? I I think it I think you're going to see center back by committee for a lot of the uh, the the year. Um uh, how sustainable it is, I don't know. I guess we're going to find out. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I wish I I wish I had uh, something a little bit more definitive there, but uh you know, it, it's really kind of a crapshoot. I th- I think, you know, Jack Elliott's played well. Uh he certainly made some rookie mistakes uh in the games that he's played. Uh but that's that's kind of to be expected. Um, Richie Marquez has, has seen a bit of a drop in form since last year. Uh, he, he played really, really well last year. Uh, this year is, it's kind of dropped off a little bit and I'm not sure if that's because uh, of being partnered next to Onyewu, next to Elliot. You know, he thought he was going to be next to Josh Yarrow, but Yarrow has been out for uh, a few months with a broken shoulder. So, you know, developing that kind of chemistry and rhythm with your center back partner is, is certainly important. I don't think he's been able to, to really get that uh, this year. Um, Gooch played very well the last game. Um, and it, he's been, honestly, a, a huge surprise uh, just how well he's played. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the guy was out of soccer for a couple of years. He's uh, he's 34 years old. You know, what can you kind of expect from, from a guy like that? Well, he's done pretty much everything that's been asked of him. And I think benching him in favor of Elliot kind of kind of made him a little mad. I think he went out uh looking to prove something uh last week uh, against the Red Bulls and I think he did well, mm-hmm. you know, and that's uh, that's the kind of thing that you, you want to see from those guys. And that's the kind of thing you should really should credit the manager for. I think, you know, Curtin kind of realized that, you know, that that Gooch is a guy that wants to be on the field and, you know, he's a man. He wants to be out there and, uh, you know, you, you put it in his ear. Hey, you can, you can win your job back and he's going to go out and, and, uh, give you his all for 90. Um, sticking with the defense. Um, one of the other changes that Curtin has made recently is dropping, uh, Keegan Rosenberry, um, who had been pretty much untouchable at right back for, for the moment, from the moment he arrived in the league, uh, from the 20, as the 2016 draft. Um, but he's brought in Ray Gaddis for the last three games in a row. Gaddis had to leave this last one injured, so I, I don't know exactly his status coming into the weekend, but, um, what's been the difference there? What, what why was Rosenberry dropped and what is Gaddis bringing that it has to be doing something to help a little bit with these recent defensive performances? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I think Rosenberry was dropped simply to kind of try and switch it up a little bit. You know, when you when you've lost, uh, you know, 13, 14 or not lost, but you're gone winless in 13, 14, 15 games, you you change things. Something's got to change. You know, you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I think, you know, benching Keegan, uh, you know, it certainly was disappointing for him. But, uh, you know, Gaddis came in. Gaddis is a pro. He's looking to to win minutes. He wants to, to, to make sure he has a job. You know, so he came in and he performed well, you know, raise a guy that's been in the year, I think six or seven years now. It's, it's, you know, you look at him, he's, he looks like he's, you know, 15 years old, but he's, he's been in the league forever. It Mm -hmm. seems like, um, you know, so he's, he's done well. He's, uh, he's added a little bit more of, you know, kind of an offensive presence than, than Keegan. And I know that's kind of weird to say. Uh, as Keegan was kind of a, a get forward guy, but you really didn't see that a lot this season. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the first few games against Vancouver, against Toronto, he really kind of stayed back 
and, and help defend. And I'm not sure, again, if that's uh, part and parcel of not knowing his partner, not knowing, uh, you know, not really having worked with Onyewu, not having worked with Elliot, um, you know, so maybe there was a little bit of that uh, uh, there. But, I, I, you know, I think benching him, uh, again, kind of like with Gooch, it worked out well. Rosenberry came in in the uh, uh, late in the in the game and and had you know had some good tackles, uh, made a couple of good plays. Um, I I don't envy Jim Curtin this week. You know he's got a, he's got a tough decision to make there at right back. Uh, I guess my my last question is back into central midfield. Um, Harris Madunian and um, there's been a lot of talk because obviously he was a, a high profile signing, but not quite what the union needed, I think is fair to say. Um, but in these last couple games with the team playing a little more um, compact in general, um, it does seem to leave him with less room to roam. And now that he's partnering Alejandro Bedoya, maybe there's someone a little more on his wavelength. Um, not that, that not to knock Derek Jones, who's been uh, a bright spot, but um, have you seen him start to maybe adapt to MLS a little more, or is he still someone that kind of has to be hidden in the defensive side of the game? Um, I think he's starting to adapt. I don't think he's fully adapted yet. Um, I, I think, uh, honestly, he's still a bit of a defensive liability. Um, I, I think you're seeing Bedoya playing uh, a, a wider range of the field in order to try and make up for that. He's still, you know, uh, Ali still wants to make those runs forward, still wants to get uh, get the ball going forward, yet he realizes that as soon as he does that, he's he's got to get back because Madunyanin most likely isn't going to get back there, and, and that really leaves the the center backs exposed. And you know, as I've said over and over this evening, uh, you know, you got two guys back there who probably haven't played much together because it's been uh, center back by committee. Um, I do think that uh, Madunyanin's defensive skills, <clears throat> excuse me, I think his defensive skills may have been a little. Uh, under scouted when they decided to to pick him up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if there's a good way to put that. I I, I think that That's they a, thought that was a very was, generous way to put it. <laughs> I, I think the union really thought he was going to be a lot more uh, defensive minded than he was, and, and he's really not. He's he's you know kind of the same player as Bedoya. So that certainly made for some challenges this year. You know when you have two players uh, playing essentially the same role and you need. Uh, one different it's like well you know you, you can't really sit Bedoya he's your highest paid player you, you can't sit Madunian in either because he's been playing well as his vision on the field is you know pretty unparalleled so it's it's you know what, what do you do and that's a question I think that leads into this this one pretty well going back to the bad times where DC United hopes to send you back to after this weekend uh, <laughs> if if only briefly because you're a nice guy. We don't want bad things for you. I appreciate but, that. But who deserves <laughs> most of the blame for the that long winless run, for whatever troubles the union find themselves in? Is it Jim Curtin? Is it Ernie Stewart? Is it Jay Sugarman? Who who deserves the, the brunt of fans' ire? Everyone. <laughs> Everyone. Everyone. You know, this is this is an organizational failure. This is a failure of the organization to find players to fill positions of need. Uh, this is a failure of coaches to play players in position. It is a failure of the players on the field to execute, even when they're in the position. Um, there is plenty of blame to go around. I don't think anybody gets gets out of this uh, unscathed. And uh, our, our traditional last question, if you were lining up in the technical area opposite Jim Curtin in this one, how would you game plan against his side? What would you be focusing on to beat the union? Attack, 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 attack. Um, you know, the, the defense uh, has, has been a bit of a liability. Yes, they've, they've had two uh, clean sheets in a row. Uh, however... I still feel you have to attack. You have to exploit uh, the fact that you have a defensive midfielder who's not really defensive-minded. I feel you can exploit um, 
you know, the, the, the lack of chemistry and understanding between the back four. You can exploit Fabinho's tendency to still roam forward when he should be staying back. You can exploit, uh, you know, Onyewu's slowness. You can exploit Elliot's inexperience. You know, I, I feel like if I was uh, if I was uh, lining lining up uh, a squad to go against them, it, it would be very attack heavy. All right, we'll see if Ben Olsen takes Eugene's advice on Saturday. Eugene, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Good luck uh, starting Sunday. <laughs> Appreciate it. Real quick, tell our listeners where they can find you online. Sure thing. Uh, brotherlygame.com for for all of the uh, latest union stuff. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter at Golazo Del Gringo. Uh, I talk union. I talk Liga MX. Uh, I talk stupid stuff. I don't know. We all talk stupid stuff. It's the internet. <laughs> That's what it's for. Find us talking stupid stuff uh, at blackandredunited.com, on Twitter, at blackandredu for the website, at filibusterdcu for the podcast. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We expect stupid stuff almost exclusively there. <laughs> yep. uh, listen to our vocal audio stupid stuff. Uh on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on Google Play, or the podcatcher of your choice. Mostly, though, tell a friend about our stupid stuff. Don't call it stupid stuff, but tell a friend about the show. We really Stop appreciate it. Stop calling it stupid stuff. I'm on a roll, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad roll. But a roll nonetheless. Thank you all for listening. For Ben and Jason, I'm Adam. And thanking Eugene one more time. We will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. We're not that stupid. Kind of stupid. <laughs> Shut up, Adam. Hi, I'm Adam Taylor. You may know me from such podcasts as Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast, or... No, really, it's just Filibuster. In fact, you're listening to the end of an episode of Filibuster in this little blue marble rolling around the sun. You find yourself here with me. I'm happy. Are you happy? I'm happy. And I'm going to be even happier, and I hope you will be even happier, because we've got some exciting news coming just down the pike here at Filibuster. So uh, stick around. We have exciting news, and we hope you'll join us on what comes next. Goodbye. <laughs>